before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Two times the Lord appeared physically to Moses at Sinai, and the first we we'll read about this week, the second we'll read about in a few weeks. But we wanna start this week with Exodus chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Exodus 19 verse three. It starts with this statement, Moses went up to God and the Lord Adonai called to him from the mountain. That's an interesting description, it's worth paying a little bit of attention to. Moses goes up to the Lord for a meeting with the Lord, and the Lord calls to him from the mountain. It's not that the mountain called to him. It's not that Moses is on the spiritual quest, and he's thinking, I must climb the mountain. But rather, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, calls to Moses in such a way that Moses decides he needs to have time with the Lord, just with the Lord, and so he goes up to the Lord, to the mountain where the Lord is. And Moses recognizes that this is something important for him to do. Now let's go to verse 16, because the next few verses are very interesting, because in this one passage that we're about to read. We'll see that God reveals himself as fire, as a personal presence, and as a God who has a voice. Three qualities that we uh, were looking at a few weeks ago when we were looking at five ways that God revealed himself to Moses. So Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, lightning, and and a thick cloud on the mountain. And then a shofar blast sounded so loudly that all the people in the camp trembled. As I understand it, that's a heavenly shofar that is now being heard on the earth. Was it the Lord blowing the shofar? That would be encouragement for all you guys who are shofar blowers. You've learned to play an instrument the Lord does. Was it angels? We don't know. But we know this, it's the sound of a shofar that is so immense, it's such a sound that it fills up everything and the people are trembling. They're filled with awe. It's that loud. Verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood near the base of the mountain. Mount Sinai was enveloped in smoke. Why? Volcano? No. Natural phenomenon? No. Because the Lord descended onto it in fire. The Lord came down from heaven to the earth in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. 
As the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with a voice. So here you have three, three distinct ways that God is revealing himself. He's revealing himself as fire, and he's not to be confused with just the natural phenomenon of fire, because this is fire coming down from heaven. And this is fire that's serving the, um, the purposes of God and the interests of God. And it's a fire that has a sense of awe about it because God is in the fire. Now that, as we've talked about before, doesn't mean God is in every fire. Though many guys who like to cook on fire think the Lord is anointing all of their fire-born cooking. God is appearing as a personal presence, and he is appearing as the Lord who has a voice. And so it's worth taking note that the Lord is entering the material and physical world that, that we live in. He's entering our time-space world. He's, he's entering the, the, the world that is ours to inhabit. And he lives in a realm that is far beyond ours, yet he can come down and enter our world. It's important to take note of this. If you want to be able to tell people what you believe, you should be able to describe some of these things. Well, I believe that the God of heaven and earth, the God of eternity, can actually be present in our world. That's important, especially if you're asserting that Yeshua is Adonai, that he's the Lord who has come down from heaven, who has taken on a human body. If God can't do that, then it's impossible. I've told the story before of talking with an Orthodox rabbi um, who, who was just perplexed, how could I as a Jew believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And I said, it's even worse than you think. <laughs> because I know that Yeshua is not only Messiah, he's Adonai. Yeah. And it was like all of his brain cells wanted to escape his skull at that moment. <laughs> he said, that's impossible. I said, are you sure it's impossible? Because if, if you're sure it's impossible, then you have discovered something that God cannot do. And he said, well, it's not impossible. I said, be careful now. Because <laughs> everything depends on it being impossible. And he said, well, it's not impossible. I guess God could do that if he wanted to. I said, now you're in real trouble. It was much easier when it was impossible. But if it's not impossible, it's only a question of fact. Is it true? It was a great conversation. <laughs> I love these kinds of conversations. Did he concede? No. No. Because people will revise their positions in order to hold on to their earlier positions they will in fact disregard facts. 
yeah, in order to hold on to their own conclusions, which are actually their assumptions. It's part of human nature. Now, I want to think about some things with you. I want to think about the implications to our faith and the life of faith that, um, that this revelation of God can bring to us, understanding about God. It's important not to dismiss these accounts that are in the scriptures because they're there for a purpose. Sometimes they have very few details, not the kinds of details that modern novelists or journalists would be satisfied with, or even historians, but they're often very concise and and they pinpoint important details because if we get those details, if we grasp them, if they start shaping how we think, if they affect our way of thinking and our way of acting, then they will have a profound effect upon us. If we dismiss them or or if we say to ourselves, you know, this is not really the important stuff, then then we're making a serious mistake because we we are judging the word of God as being, in a sense, defective in this way. Some parts just don't matter. And I can tell you this, when, when we take that attitude and we take that position that those parts don't matter to us, then our own unbelief will grow stronger and stronger. And instead of us reading the word and allowing the scriptures to open up to us who God is and how God works and what he does, Instead, we will be constructing God in our own image and we'll say, oh, this doesn't fit because I have an image of God that this doesn't fit into. And that's a very common thing. People of every religious background can do it, including messianics. We can do it too. So I want to encourage you, take the time to take notice of things, especially small details that you might have not noticed or you might have become um, bored with. Can I say that? Desensitized is a nice way of putting it, but I'm going to go even further. Bored is like, ah, I don't need that. I don't need that. That's not important. This isn't important. You know, I've got six verses in the whole Bible that are really important to me. No, don't do that to yourself. So let's think about the implications. The fact that the God we serve, the God of Israel, is personal. And that he engaged Moses and he engaged Israel as a person. He called Israel into a relationship. So it wasn't just the dawning of a religious idea. I want you to grasp that. Nor was it just the unfolding of a new code of law. This is not just the Jewish version of uh, Hammurabi's code of law or the older than the Magna Carta version of law. This is something more than that. It's also important to us that we pay attention to the fact that God is personal and that we allow the faith to touch us personally. 
nowadays faith is used often as a synonym for religion. What's your faith? Or I'm part of the Catholic faith or the Jewish faith. But faith in the Bible and in the ancient languages was not just about religious ideas, it was about a relationship of trust. It was about a relationship of dependability. To say that I have faith in God doesn't mean that I abstractly believe in God. It means I trust him. And when do I show that trust to him? I show that trust to him at all times in my life, during difficulty, during success as well. Faith touches us personally. Now, the, this other detail, God has a voice. I think that it's interesting that in this really defining passage about Moses' experience with God, that God speaks, he has a voice. Moses doesn't just come away with a mind meld. He hears a voice. And this forever shapes the nature of Israel's relationship with God, Shema. Yisrael. Listen, Israel. If God has no voice, there's nothing to listen to. Oh, you could listen to yourself. That's very popular. You can stare at your navel. There are many things you can do to create a spiritual experience for yourself. You can use hallucinogenic drugs and see what comes out of your little brain when psychedelics are applied. But that's not what this is all about. This is about something very, very different. This is about a God who can speak. A God who has something to say. This is about a God who can talk one-on-one -on -one when he wants to, and he can even use that one-on-one -on -one conversation to shape a world. Because we read now the record of the conversation Moses and the Lord have, and it changes all of us. It has an impact on us. It changes how we think. It changes what we understand. God has a voice. We have spiritual ears. That's the good news. We can hear, we can listen to him. We can turn to him and we can engage him. Now it's also important for us to understand that there are things that can take the place of this kind of relationship. There are things that can weaken it. The story of uh, the sowers of the seed and the four kinds of soil is Yeshua's very concise elaboration on what can cause people who, who hear the word to lose the word. What can cause people to start with enthusiasm but to end with nothing. And on the other hand, what can cause people who may appear to be slow to actually um, bear good fruit in much of it? The cares of this world the attacks of the enemy, normal human doubts, worries about things, other priorities, having our hearts divided, all of these things can work against us so that the, the pure thing we receive from the Lord just dies. 
It, it may even germinate and then die. But there are other things that can take the place of this kind of relationship, and that includes religious traditions and practices. And when we focus on the traditions and practices in such a way that they become the object of our most sincere concentration, that we think more about them than we do about God, and that we even commingle them in such a way that we get confused thinking they are our relationship with God. They become a substitute then for a direct relationship that involves trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord, being directed by the Lord, following the Lord. And you'll notice that Moses, as we're reading about in this passage in Exodus, he's not depending on his religious traditions. Most of those haven't been formed. He's depending on this raw, uh, uncontrollable relationship with the God who asserts his authority the way he wants to. God's in charge, not Moses. Moses hasn't figured enough things out, and the people haven't done enough things over and over again that they have their own traditions well established. But that will come. And it, whenever that comes, it can become the substitute for the relationship with God. We have to protect ourselves. We want to seek the Lord. We want to trust the Lord. We want to be directed by the Lord. We want to follow the Lord. So with that in mind, I, I was asking this question for myself. What reveals my faith? If God reveals himself in certain ways, what's a corresponding way that reveals my faith in God? And so I just dabbled in it a bit. I encourage you to do the same thing. This is not meant to be definitive by any means. It's more like a musing. Two words, A, musing. Yeah, my musing on this subject, what reveals our faith? And I thought, fire. Okay, let's talk about fire. Our fire. You know what's interesting? Everybody I know is familiar with the idea that fire can be a synonym for motivation and commitment. When you say someone has real fire, isn't that what you mean? Or you say they are on fire. That's what you mean. It, fire that is temporary isn't real fire. It's a flash in the pan, it's something else. But our fire that is not just based on momentary enthusiasm, but rather on commitment that is an expression of commitment, it becomes stronger. It makes us stronger when we are on fire we become stronger in our motivation, deeper in our understanding. So our fire reveals our faith. Our personhood, our full, our full personality, as our, our full expression of who we are. You and I are made in the image of God, yes? And thus with all the different facets of that image, we are able to connect with God. We approach God with our entire persons, not just with a little bit. 
Now this can be very useful uh, for people who are comfortable expressing their faith in comfortable ways. Some people will say, well, you know, I'm more of a cerebral person, and so I like to study. That's good, okay, good for you, do it. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, right? Other people say, well, I'm more of an emotional person. I really connect with God emotionally. Some people say, I'm musical, so singing, worshiping with music, this is the key for me. And each of these things can be useful. What I would encourage you to do is to not limit yourself to only those things, but explore the other aspects of how to connect with God. Use your whole personality, use your, all of your temperament, your will, your mind, your heart. Bring all the aspects of your being, even your bodies to the Lord. Now, I love to see the folks that love to dance to the Lord. I don't dance to the Lord. And it's not that I haven't tried. It's when I try, I'm very self-conscious. I have no sense of rhythm, just to start. I'm like the black hole of rhythm. People with rhythm standing next to me lose theirs. People who could otherwise sing well, they, um, they are tormented. Sometimes when I'm singing with enthusiasm during worship, Sandy will look at me as like, you know, like, tone it down. And the reason is I'm so in the wrong key on the wrong melody and everything's wrong. I'm trying. And I can't tell the difference, but I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. The Lord's enjoying it. Well, Tell Sandy. No, no, no. She, I, I'm, I'm playing about that. She's not cruel to me. But I do remember being in a congregation years and years ago where the most enthusiastic person believed sincerely in that scripture, make a joyful noise. And that was the only kind of noise he was able to make. And Honestly, it was sort of like a wounded or sick animal, musically. <laughs> yeah. And it would have been nice if he was not so loud. I'm just saying. <laughs> he was a great guy. But he, he, uh, he defeated much of the musicality of the congregation. But I encourage you, use all of your personhood. Explore parts even that aren't developed. And, and try your best at least to explore some things. Add, add some aspects to your, uh, to your toolbox of worship and of service as well. And I have seen people actually do this and, and make fantastic strides. I have a friend who's a Messianic rabbi, and for years, his public assertion 
and private assertion was, I'm an introvert, and I just don't like to be with people. And a lot of us who are rabbis are introverts, but we love people. And really, you can't do this kind of work if you don't want to be with people. It can't be done without people. I mean, you could be a monk. You can be a hermit. You can climb, you know, a tree or a tower somewhere. Um, (laughs) All by yourself. But if you really want to... um, to follow in Yeshua's footsteps. You can't do this all by yourself. And if your ministry is to no one, it's not really a ministry. So this friend who had described himself as an introvert and would basically revel in his introversion, misunderstood introversion because if I can put it this way, the difference between an introvert and an extrovert doesn't have to do with whether they're nice or not, or whether they like being with people. It's how do they recharge their energy? And what takes energy from them? The extrovert gets energy by being with people. The introvert gets energy by being alone. The introvert recharges by being alone. The extrovert gets sapped by being alone. But, here's the news. All of us, whether we are introverts or extroverts, need to be alone sometime. And we need, as well, to be with people sometime. Right? And, and so for this rabbi, he actually came to terms with himself and realizing that he was an introvert, he was an introvert called by God to be with people. So that meant he needed to use his introversion not as an excuse to get away from people, but just to recognize God made him in this way so that when he needs to recharge, he recharges correctly. If you get confused about these things, and you're an introvert, for instance, then you'll get exasperated with people because you're tired or you've lost your energy. And then you become threatened by cynicism. It's like, oh, people, I can't stand being with people. To his credit, this guy started focusing on being with people and taking time for himself and doing both. And now he's got a much more fruitful ministry and he seems to be a happier person. As long as I've known him, he's now happier having these things worked out. Sometimes introverted people um, are not happy because they haven't recharged adequately. And, and you don't have to be defeated by your introversion. You don't have to be defeated by any aspect of your personality or your temperament. Every aspect of a person's uh, temperament and personality can be useful or it can be useless 
or worse? Counterproductive, maybe that's a better way of putting, putting it. It can be turned in the wrong direction, the same quality. I, I'll give an example from, from me. I can be stubborn. Yes, yes. And what is stubbornness? Stubbornness is the same thing as perseverance. It's just turned in the wrong direction. Right? Now, I'm not the kind of person that just gives up. That's the problem. Sometimes I should. Sometimes I'm stubborn because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing it even if it's not working. Even if I know it has no hope of success. Um, because resistance is not futile. I will resist. I will not be assimilated. I will. But there are times in stubbornness that it's hard to hear the Lord say, stop already. Because I can call it perseverance. Oh, I'm persevering. I'm not going to give up, Lord. And he's saying, give up already. Hey, you said that, stiff-necked. Yeah, it's true. That's right. If you're a wrestler, being stiff-necked is good. Being able to have strength in your neck is important, right? What reveals our faith? Our voice reveals our faith. What we say to God and what we say to other people reveals our faith. Speaking to other people in a way that edifies them. Converting our anxiety into prayer is powerful. When we learn that the things that we're worried about and even the things that we're telling other people about are things that we can pray about in the same detail, at the same level of focus. It really becomes useful to us. Speaking to God, telling him everything that's on our heart, telling him what we're struggling with, telling him what we're hoping for, confiding in him. That reveals our, our faith. Telling other people what we know what we've experienced about God, sharing our story with other people, being able to explain to them in terms that they could understand, in their language. Having listening ear for the Lord, learning to listen to the Lord and to obey the Lord. Learning to listen to the Lord is good. And, and I've told this story, but it's a useful story. I was in Budapest. I was going to teach a class, and um, I couldn't find a parking space. It's a problem in Budapest. Um, it's a big city with not enough places to park. And I saw a parking place. And as I started to pull in, I heard the Holy Spirit say, uh-uh. I heard the Holy Spirit say, uh-uh. And I said, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because I saw this sign, 
and there was space on the right side of the sign, but I knew what the sign said, no parking from here to the corner. Even though it was in Hungarian, I understood that. And as I was pulling in there, and the Holy Spirit said, "Uh uh-uh, I rationalized something. The parking meter folk are already finished for the day. Sun has gone down, they're finished. No one's checking parking meters. They're not, the parking police aren't working right now. So the Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. And I said, uh-huh. I parked there. And then I taught a class. And strangely, the class was on repentance. <laughs> a subject at the moment that I appeared to know nothing about. <laughs> And I'm teaching this class. And so I come out from the class, and I go to where the car was parked, and there is no car. And so it went from uh uh-uh to uh uh-huh to uh uh-oh, because there's no car there. There's no car there because the car had been towed. Apparently they were working. Now, here was the beautiful thing. I just burst out laughing. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because I did hear you. I heard you. Now, if only I listened to you. So hearing the Lord is one part. Doing what he says, that's the other part. In fact, To listen in Hebrew really means not just to uh, perceive, but to act on. Learning to listen and to obey. These are examples of how we can contemplate on the revelation of God. Who is God? What is he like? If I made it in his image, what is my life like? If you read the first chapter of this week's Torah portion about the struggles that Moses was having when he was trying to settle disputes, it's an interesting passage. His whole job has been reduced to this, meeting with people who are uh, in adverse relationship with each other and trying to settle their disputes, and it's killing him. And his father-in-law says, stop, there's a better way. You should represent the people to God and pray for them. You should be in prayer about them and you should be teaching them about the Lord and the ways of the Lord and how to live for God. And you should also be teaching them about their work and what they need to do. Because Moses' teaching ministry at that point was one-on-one to people who were in conflict with each other. That's what he said. They come to me and I settled their disputes and that's when I teach them how to live in God's way. And, And Jethro says, take a step back, man. Teach them before. Give them the bigger picture earlier. Give them more and involve more people in this process of helping a whole nation settle disputes. Because it's not just a congregation that we're, as we're thinking of as congregations. It's not a mega synagogue. 
It's an entire people he was dealing with. You know, a multi-million person nation. You can't just have one person settling disputes. It's impossible. In a way, what Jethro is saying to Moses is this. You've, you've got to take what you know about God and you've got to transfer it to the people so that they know God too. They've got to know how God thinks about things, what's important to him, how to approach him, how to get things from the Lord. They need to be able to apply what they know about God and what they experience with God to their life together with each other. Wouldn't it be great if everyone in your family could learn from God and apply what they're learning and, and apply the best that God has for them? Wouldn't that change things for the better in every situation? What if everybody you work with was learning about God and then applying what they're learning about God to their situation? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, that's part of the pattern. That's what we each need to embrace for ourselves. We need to think, how can I take what I'm learning about God and apply it to my life with other people? Because then it becomes really powerful. And if we're truly disciples of Yeshua, then we're integrating these two great commands to love God with all that we are, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our strength. Uh, mine, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to do both, to integrate those, not to uh, say, well, this one is good because it's religious, I love God, but you people, I can't stand. No, we learn to love each other. We learn to express that love. And instead of saying, I don't need you, we say, we need each other. We're called to be a community together. We're called to be families. We're called to be a husband and a wife, parents. Uh, these are callings from God. These are roles that God has given us, and we need his help. We need his instruction. We need his wisdom. We need his power in order to do it. And so when we think about what we're reading in the scriptures and we say, what do I know about God from this scripture that can help me? And then what can I take so that I can use that to affect how I relate to people? how I live for God, and how I live with people, then it becomes really powerful. And that's what I think we can do. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us to transform our studies into much more than just study. Well, with that in mind, let's close. Lord, we thank you because you are not just the God who is the God of heaven, but you're the God of earth. And you have chosen to come down into our world and to be with us and to reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't stop by coming in fire, but you came down, you took on a human body, you revealed yourself as Adonai, the Lord, as Mashiach, the anointed one, as the redeemer and the savior of all mankind. 
And our life, Lord, can be transformed because of that reality. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And let it be that as we reflect on your goodness, that we can apply what we learn about you to our relationships here on earth. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. Would you please rise? And I, I wanna share with you that um, we've got information about um, the funeral for Rachel Bammer's brother. It will be on Monday, February 17th at uh, First Assembly of God in Fleming Island. And um, the service will start at 11 in the morning. And then there are more details to follow. But I just wanted to let you know that some of you were asking, um, when will the funeral be? Those of you who are close with the Bammers. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom.